Hallelujah. Now, uh, some of you may or may not be aware, but obviously Pastor Werner has an hell of gone. Uh, uh, Colossians chapter 2, actually, you can turn your Bible. Uh, Colossians chapter 2. And so for the next, I think it's five weeks, you're going to listen to me each week. And so I'll be up here and I really feel uh, led of the Lord. Um, is the, probably the best way to put it and I guess you expect me to be so. Amen. But um, since I was contemplating on doing some different things and pondering the direction I should go over this period, you know, taking the opportunity to kind of have five consecutive um, messages to preach. And so as I began to entertain some other things, again, I just felt such a compulsion from God to to continue on this theme that I have been touching upon in recent months that deals with the fullness of God. The fullness of God. You've reflected upon this in various, various ways and uh, I will continue to do so in the weeks ahead. But there is something that God wants us not just to see and understand from an objective sense, but rather he wants us to experience it in the subjective aspect in our walk with the Lord. Because the fullness of the blessing of God is for his children, it's for you and I. And so we are, it is imperative that we understand it, it is imperative that we grasp it. There was an article I was given last week or maybe the week before by our dear sister uh, here, um, Sylvia, at the front and uh, she approached me after one of the meetings and, and said, um, uh, the preaching goes too long here. And so I, I, I listened to what you had to say, sister, and I read the article that she given me to read and it had some very valid points. And one of the things that was uh, touched upon in there as part of effective preaching and ministry was um, uh, the repetitive preaching. Repetitive preaching. Repetitive preaching. <laughs> Not in that sense, but rather, I'm, I'm joking. But uh, the, 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 the preacher was quoted as saying, good evangelistic preaching must be repetitive. We must say the same thing in different ways, speak and drive home truths in different ways. 62% of all ideas are accepted only after they are presented the sixth time. And so it's highlighting a fact or a reality concerning human nature and our ability to comprehend things and there's an element of truth to that. Not that it's all whole fundamentally true. But there is a truth that relates to the issue of repetitive preaching of considering various truths in the Bible and considering them uh, in all the variations and forms that we find them in the Scripture. And as we look at this issue of the fullness of God and us entering into spiritual maturity and, uh, uh, and, uh, and God bringing us into that uh, place of blessing where which we appropriate it, then the issue of, of repeating these issues throughout the Scriptures uh, is not... Uh, a unfruitful task. In actual fact, what we're dealing with 
covers so much of the New Testament and in typology uh, and, uh, and types covers so much within the Old Testament that it's an exhaustive uh, topic to be addressing. But we're going to look at a few things over the next few weeks and I pray that God would, would uh, help us because I can tell you now my experience over the years that it's, uh, has been that God has revealed these truths to me over and over. He has revealed to them to me from this angle, from that angle, from here and from there. And it's like I constantly am being hit and bombarded and the revelation of God coming in all of its various forms to reiterate and to reinforce these truths. And so again, this is where we're heading over the weeks that are ahead. Glory to God. We're talking about our inheritance. We're talking about Christ. We're talking about the promised land. These are all interchangeable phrases really we find in the scripture. But we want to live. We want to know it. We want to abide in it and we want to experience it because it's not... You know, we sang that song today, um, um, uh, It is well with my soul. Because it doesn't matter what it is that's happening externally we can possess and always hold fast to these wonderful truths of God's grace and God's fullness and God's blessing. And so let's look at the word of God in Colossians chapter 2 this morning and we will proceed. Verses 9 and 10. The Bible says, For in him... um, all the fullness of the Godhead uh, dwells, all the, sorry, let's read it again. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's Christ. And you are complete in him who is head of all principality and power. Now, this is a very profound portion of text. I mean, you read these scriptures and I tell you, when you look at them and begin to understand what the Spirit of God is teaching us, it is so wonderful. And there are two two scriptures here that we're going to focus on, one which centres around Christ and the other which focuses on ourselves, but yet teaches us a profound and wonderful truth that not only are we to see and understand, but we are to experience. It's critical that you understand what I'm saying this morning because that's what God has for us. But I want to first focus on verse 9 and I want to just turn our attention to Jesus Christ because when you consider this portion of text in verse 9, what you begin to see is as it relates to Jesus Christ himself. We're talking about a revelation of the Godhead. We're talking about a revelation of the divinity of Christ. We're talking about a profound truth that surrounds Christ Jesus. And this is important for us to consider because we find in the world today that there are so many misconceptions as to who is Jesus Christ. In all the different religions of the world and even within various Christian circles, there is, there's this debate that surrounds, is Jesus Christ really God? Well, of course he is. Of course he is. And so, this scripture in verse 9 emphatically declares it, emphatically embodies it, it teaches us and it shows us this reality of what we're dealing with when it says, for in him, in Christ, is all the fullness of the Godhead 
bodily. Now, there is, a, there is obviously some interesting words that are used there. You know, Godhead. You don't find this, kind, this word being used in the Old Testament, do you? Godhead. Again, so it's a unique phrase that is being used by Paul the Apostle when he writes and he also uses the word bodily and uh, although we find variations of the word in the, in the scriptures, what's interesting is the phrase Godhead bodily, is on, each word is only used once in the New Testament. There are other variations of the word but this particular word in and of itself is only used once and it's teaching us something. It's telling us something specifically about Christ, the fullness, in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, Paul the Apostle is clearly, as I'll demonstrate briefly, teaching us that Jesus Christ is God. He is teaching us about the incarnation of God who became a man. Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh. Now, he uses the word Godhead. Now, what Godhead bodily is the phrase that we want to focus on. Why is it that he uses the word Godhead? Because I think it's important for us to understand that because it's a concept, as I said, that is not found in the Old Testament specifically. In this, in this usage of this word. Obviously, it is a Greek word, but there's a reason why Paul the Apostle is using it and the reason is, is that the word Godhead in the Greek has a non-Jewish ring to it. It's not associated with the Jewish uh, Hebrew language and so therefore uh, it is not something that is primarily a custom. It is a Greek word. It has a Gentile um, meaning to it and Paul the Apostle is deliberately using this particular word to convey a message about the divinity of Christ. You see, Paul the Apostle understands he's speaking to a Gentile world. He's dealing with pagan issues and he needs to be able to communicate to them the, the, just who Jesus Christ really actually is. And so, we have this word Godhead bodily being expressed in verse 9 of our text. The word is uh, theotos, which means divinity, and uh, the, to define that in the Greek, it means in an, it, it is used in an abstract sense. So it kind of uh, gives us, it's, it's capturing the thought. It's not de uh, defining exactly the thought, but it's an abstract concept. It's giving us a, a general understanding of this particular reality, the Godhead, the divine. And so this is what we find in being expressed in this particular text. In Romans chapter 1, verse 20, you find this word being used again by Paul the Apostle. It's a different Greek word. Again, same root words, but just the different variations of the word. And uh, I won't seek to pronounce it. Just trust me, it's, uh, it's different. But uh, in Romans chapter 1, verse 20, Paul writes and he says, For since the creation of the world... His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without 
excuse. And he's talking about the Gentile world. Now, they don't know who specific, they don't have a revelation of Jehovah God. They don't understand the concepts of the Old Testament. But Paul is writing that regardless of that, they have an abstract understanding. There is a, there, God has shown them uh, through his divine attributes, for, through the various mechanisms, uh, by those things that are clearly seen and by looking around at the world around us, that there is a divine dimension. Can we conclude that at least? There is a, there's something out there. In Acts chapter 17, we find the word used again. Remember, it's used three times in the New Testament, each different, a different word in the Greek. Same root word, but just different. And it says this in Acts 17, 29, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, this is Paul the Apostle at Athens, speaking to the Greeks. It says, Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature, it's the Greek word Godhead, Oh, the same word for Godhead. We should not think that the divine nature or the Godhead is like gold or silver or stone, something shaped by art and men's devising. You see, again, Paul's trying to, he's preaching about the unknown God. There in Acts chapter 17. And so he's trying to give them, take an abstract thought and he's trying to reveal to them something about the divine nature, about the Godhead, about this fact that there is a God and just who he is. Because he says we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone, something that we fabricate with our own hands, which we know is just an idol. And so Paul is emphasising these realities. But listen to our text. It says, for in him dwells the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now listen to that. The divine has just become human. And he takes this word bodily now and again it is used only once in the New Testament and the, 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 the meaning of this literally signifies this in the Greek, it means truly, really, or in reality rather than some type or figurative aspect. So when it uses the word bodily, Paul is not using some kind of a type to just use some uh, in the same way that he's referring to Godhead to the Gentiles. He's now making a, a specific statement, a declaration in, the re, in, in reality, in the literal sense. We are talking about Jesus Christ. In him is the fullness of God, of the Godhead bodily. See, that's a profound thought, isn't it? But this is what the Bible teaches, is that the divine nature literally took on a body. It's called the incarnation. God becomes a man. Jesus, the Son of God. And isn't this, what, when, you, when you go to John's Gospel, and John now is writing to the Jews, and so now we begin to identify some Jewish concepts and some Jewish understanding of things as we read in the Gospel of John. And John writes, and he says in verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. 
So the Jehovah Witnesses say the word was a God. <laughs> no, the <laughs> word was God. Okay? See, they have to take away the divine nature of Christ. You have to. You have to deconstruct it. And it says in verse 14 of John chapter 1 that, uh, uh, that, uh, that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And it says in verse 14, And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. That word only begotten, it again is significant because it means it's a, a single of its kind. Or in other words, there's only one Jesus. There's only one begotten Son. The only begotten Son. And in doing so, we begin to make this identification, this connection uh, between uh, the, the Godhead or the divine nature and the Godhead bodily, which is now Christ in the flesh. And really, when you think about this, this is exactly what John is communicating and revealing to us in John chapter 1. As I, as I was studying this, the Jewish, uh, <coughs> uh, the complete Hebrew English dictionary deals with these things and so it highlights the Jewish understanding of the Godhead bodily because that's not a Jewish concept, it's more of a Gentile one as we just considered but you see, when John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, that word dwelt means the habitat amongst us, we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. You see, beheld his glory. And in the Hebrew English dictionary, it lists Godhead as one way in which to trans- uh, translate the Hebrew word Shekinah, the Shekinah glory of God, that we beheld his glory. And didn't they, see, in him, uh, think about that. We know on the, on the Mount of Transfiguration, his form, his body couldn't contain it, amen, and the glory, the Shekinah glory of God became manifest and he's transfigured before them. Because really, uh, the, human, the divine was wrapped up in the human, in the flesh. And there, when it bursts through the flesh, we get a revelation, behold his glory. You know, that word Shekinah is a significant word in the Hebrew when it comes to the glory of God. This was the Shekinah presence, the Shekinah glory of God that was related to um, the tabernacle. When the glory of God filled the, the temple uh, in the Holy of Holies. And it has to do, you know, and the same thing in the temple, when, the Shekhan, when Solomon, uh, and then they, the priests couldn't go into minister because the glory of God filled it. And so the, the people understood the Shekinah glory of God is God's presence, it's God himself. And so when, when they said that the word became flesh and we beheld his glory, they are using the same Hebrew understanding of the presence of God, the glory of God that is now embodied in Jesus Christ. You see what happened when Jesus was baptised? The Bible says in Luke chapter 3 verse 22, the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily shape. 
the Holy Spirit descended upon him in bodily shape. Why was it in bodily shape? Well, it's teaching us something. Because in him is the Godhead bodily. Anyway, just a thought. (laughs) But you can see here, we're talking about the Spirit of God, God himself descending and, and, and that's where the word comes. This is my only begotten Son. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, this was brought out recently in one of our Bible studies. It says that, the two, that there's a, the, the, the dual aspect to this, which sometimes we don't pick up, but it says, For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. And right there in those two, that's those two phrases is we find Jesus as the son of men, a child is given, or child is born, sorry, and then a son is given, the son of God. Because it's his son. It's a, child. a child is born to us in the flesh, but a son is given by God. And we know the scripture and it says, and the government will be upon his shoulder and his name will be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. I mean, is this Jesus we're talking about? But these names are exclusive to God because he is God, the Prince of Peace. And so we, we identify now the Son and we're seeing God the Father and God the Son. The Son of Man, the Son of God, 100% flesh, 100% divine. Great is the mystery of godliness, the Bible says. Great is the mystery of godliness. We try and, you know, that's why we, we, there's so much contention over this because everyone wants to dissect it, you know. Everyone wants to be able to somehow categorise it and decarmentalise it. So, we, now I understand. Well, you know what? We can understand it because it's said. But you want to figure it out, you can just keep blowing your mind because you're never going to understand it in its fullness. But it is what it is. It is declared to be. It is revealed to be. Oh, glory to God. Romans chapter 9 verse 5 says, The eternally blessed God. It's talking about Jesus. That's why it is a, a, a blasphemy against God when we find all these false religions that we... Because everyone, you know, everyone wants to make a claim to Jesus. Oh, we believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We believe in Jesus. Everyone believes in Jesus. We just don't believe that Jesus is God. Well, then you don't believe in the Jesus I believe in. Because unless you believe the Jesus of the Bible, you're preaching another Jesus. And that's false teaching, that's false doctrine. And so that's why we have, you know, uh, Jehovah Witnesses will say that Jesus is Michael the Archangel or we'll have the Mormons will say that Jesus is Satan's brother or we'll have uh, 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 all these uh, concepts that, that he's just a prophet or he's just this or he's just that. No, 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 he is just God. Hallelujah. And then we have the, the, these concepts of Unitarianism in which, you know, we, again, we, we, we make God, we deconstruct this element because we, don't, we can't fit it in fully in our understanding. So, we deny the Trinitarian dimensions or, or revelation of God in the scripture, of Jesus Christ himself. And, we, and this is false doctrine too. The Trinity is doctrine. It is, it is clearly revealed. The word is not there, but that doesn't mean we don't see it. 
My gosh, read your Bible. The Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost is all over it. And so, the Bible says in verse 9 that in, uh, for in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. You see, this word fullness is very interesting in the Greek as well when it says in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. Now remember we're talking about fullness and we'll get to that as it relates to us in a moment but it's good just to consider what the scripture is talking here about Christ. But that word in the Greek, it means to make replete. That word replete means to be deeply filled or permeated. And so here's Jesus. He is, the, the word fullness means to cram, to level up. In terms of, so the fullness of God is in Christ. But it also has some other aspects to the word. It means to execute an office. It means to finish a period or task. It means to verify or or coincide with a prediction in fullness. (laughs) And so, isn't that who Jesus is, having been prophesied and spoken of, ordained? And yet, you know, God knew right from Genesis in chapter 3 there uh, that, uh, that what it was the incarnation was going to happen in the purpose and plan of God and it was constantly being revealed and prophesied until the time of its fulfilment came. And so, in the fullness of time, so to speak. But you see, we're talking about the fullness now of God that is wrapped up and filled in Christ Jesus. Now, that's Christ. Now, let's turn attention to ourselves because the scripture talks about that this fullness is for us. This fullness is for us. You see, in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 16, John says, of his fullness we have all received. Of his fullness we have all received. And this is exactly the premise, the basis of what our text is teaching us and this is what the Christian life is all about. We are to experience the fullness of God. The fullness of God. We have, of His fullness, we have received. And listen, it is absolutely for us And in verse 10, it tells us that, and you'll be interested if you know this scripture, as to why. But look at verse 10 now. It says, and you are complete in him. You are complete in him. You see, the emphasis in verse 9 is upon the fullness of Christ. Now in verse 10, there is an emphasis, as we will see, on that fullness that is ours. Glory to God. You see, I say this with a bit of tongue in cheek, but uh, what does the word complete mean? Again, you'll be interested to know that in the Greek, the word literally means this. It means to be made full. To means to be filled full. When the Bible says you are complete in Him, it is talking about a fullness that you and I possess. You are filled full 
in Him. You are complete in Him. You are a partaker of that fullness. You see, the whole concept of what's being taught in verse 9 and 10 is that the fullness of God that is in the Messiah bodily is in believers as well because we are a part of His body. We are in Christ. And what does it mean to be in Christ? That is the wonderful truth of the Bible. Colossians 1 verse 27 is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. We have Christ. The glory of God is in us. Think about that. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You see, we are not in the same sense as Christ because Christ is the only begotten. This is, he is of the kind of, of being God in the flesh. But we now, we have become the Bible says in Second Peter chapter 1, verse 4, we have become partakers of the divine nature. Partakers of the divine nature. This is our inheritance. Now, we are to be filled full. We are complete in Him. This is our position in Christ. You see, we say these words, we can read them, but we don't fully grasp them uh, sometimes to our own detriment. Because listen to what the scripture is saying. It says, it's talking in the past tense. It says, and you are complete in him. Not uh, you are becoming complete in him. Although that's also part of the process. But you first must understand your position. You must understand positionally and your standing in Christ and you must by faith understand that you in Christ are filled full. That may ask, people may ask the question, then why don't I feel full? Well, we'll touch upon that in a moment. But the fact is, is that's the declaration of the scripture. That is your position. In 1 Corinthians 12 verse 13, we were baptised into one body. We will baptise into Christ. And so, that is our position. When we are born of God, when we are born again, we become children of God. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in us and quickens us and gives life to our mortal bodies. And so, when you begin to see that, and understand that and experience it as a Christian. Oh, the experience, church. This is why I don't want to jump ahead of myself because I'm going to go in the next few weeks in a particular direction. But there is something that, that what God has for those that love Him. Oh, hallelujah. But you see, not only is there the positional aspect, there is the progressive aspect because we begin to realise that. Uh, uh, the Bible says that we are being changed from glory to glory. Okay? So, uh, Christ has become to us our sanctification, but then we are embarking on a process of sanctification, transformation. We are being changed from glory to glory. And now in the Christian life, that's why we have various seasons of sometimes dryness or wilderness experiences and other things. But nevertheless, ultimately, it is for us to obtain our inheritance, which is already ours, and that's the promised land. 
the fullness of Christ. But again, you say, say, and I say, I don't always feel full. Well, I can understand that and there's a reality to that. That doesn't mean that uh, it's just that we haven't yet maybe apprehended all that the Lord has for us and there's many reasons for that. But, you know, let me share with you, I remember a time, and I've said this before, but it highlights it, uh, I've, been, I've had various crises in my Christian life where God has allowed me to, you know, go through various trials and testings. And I, I can tell you that uh, I have felt dry, I have felt uh, in, in turmoil internally, I have struggled in and of myself, and yet... In the process of time, at the appointed time, I can tell you God met with me and I encountered his fullness. I remember as a young Christian, I've shared this before, but I, I, I felt incomplete. I thought I'm a Christian, but I feel incomplete. I feel empty. And I used to go to the Christian bookshops and there were books there, you know, healing for the wounded heart. I thought, oh, that's me. You know, healing for the wounded spirit. Or they attach themselves to the flesh, the self-pity. And you know where I'm going, the whole dimension of Christian psychology. And, and yet, as I fed on that, and it kind of sounded good for a moment, but it's like something doesn't feel right here. And then I remember reading another book and it said, you are complete in him. I'm like, don't worry about the philosophies of the world and, and, you know, and all the psychology and all that rubbish, but you are complete in him. And I say, God, I don't feel complete in you. And yet, one day the Lord showed me and I began to realise that it was something now that I, not only did I already have it, but it was something that I needed to possess. And now all of a sudden, I believed what God said. And I began to realise as I believed God, I was able to apprehend and appropriate that truth and, uh, and I knew by faith. Not that I felt it at that point and, not that, and, I'm not, and I'm not even suggesting that you look for a feeling. I'm saying understand it by faith and believe it. Because as you believe it, your life, the Word of God will quicken your body, it will quicken your life and the Spirit of God will make that real to your experience as a Christian and all of a sudden I got those books and I threw them in the bin. And so, and, and, and lived in the liberty but of, of the fullness of God. You see, it's an act of faith that is required from our part. And that's why the Bible testifies of Israel and it says that they didn't enter into his rest, they didn't enter the promised land because of their unbelief. Their unbelief failed to appropriate their inheritance that God had given them that was theirs. But they didn't live in it. And this can be true of so many Christians and that's why you have in the church world people don't understand the, the truths that we're talking about. So what do people do in the midst of their uh, desperation? They go and look for some experience or they go and look for some new teaching or some new, you know, you know, come and experience this or experience that or this person laid hands on me and this and that and it's like, well, wait a minute. You're, you're, this is the word of God. Is make, you are complete in him. You don't need some... Uh, chase some experience to have some person lay hands on you. You just need to believe what God says. 
You just need to believe the Word of God. You see, in verse 3, sorry, yeah, verse 3 of chapter 2 in Colossians, it says, In whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in Christ. All the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. You want the wisdom of God? You want the knowledge of God? It's hidden in Christ. And we are hidden in Christ. And if you will set yourself to seek God, if you will actually pick up your Bible and begin to read it, you will begin to um, uh, um, discover these things. I was talking to my children this morning about the Word of God. And I said, listen, let me give you an example. I said, what are the most, you know, I said, the Bible is precious. And I tell you, I said to them, you know, if, uh, when, they go and, when they look for gold and for diamonds, do they go scratching on the surface of the ground? You're not going to find gold on the surface. You're not going to find diamonds on the surface. You're going to have to dig deeper. And as you dig deeper and as you begin to plough down and as you begin to do, as they begin to do that, then eventually they strike gold or they discover diamonds and so forth. And so it is in the Word of God. You can't just skim over this. You can't just haphazardly read it or look at it every now and then. It doesn't work like that. You have to seek God. You have to read the Word. You have to set yourself, set your heart to seek God. And as you do so, then the God will begin to reveal to you the hidden treasures of His wisdom and His knowledge. And in doing so, you'll begin to feed off that. And the word Jesus says that that if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll live. Because he says it's not about eating, they took him literally and he let him take him literally. But he said to the disciples, the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And so when you read the word of God, you're not just reading a book. You're not just reading some dead letter. You are reading the Word of God and when quickened by the Holy Ghost into your heart and when the treasures of God's Word are revealed. You know, I still read the Bible and I'm telling you, the deeper I go, the more I begin to see and the more I feel like I know nothing. And I'm serious. I am absolutely in awe at the depth of the Word of God. And as I begin to scratch the surface of some things, it's like, whoa. This is amazing. And yet so many people just, and even Christians, they wouldn't even begin to know the shallowness that there is in their lives is, is, is not as it should be. And then they say, well, why don't I feel complete in him? Why aren't I filled full? Well, may not live, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. You see, Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And we have here Paul writing, and we'll read from verse 6. He says, However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory. 
which none of the rulers of this age knew. Had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord Jesus, of, uh, Lord of glory. But verse 9, But as it is written, I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. See how it works. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual, for the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. But you see, the truth that Paul's highlighting is that spiritual revelation comes from the Spirit of God. And when you set yourself to seek God, then God will open your understanding. The Bible says that he will show us those things that God has given to us uh, for those that love him. He'll freely give us those things and reveal those things to us that God has given us. And this is no doubt when it says we are complete in him, we are filled full, this is Christ. We have the fullness of Christ, church. And when you begin to see this and experience it, your, your, your Christian life will be radically changed and transformed. You can't wait to talk about the Bible. You can't wait to be in fellowship with God's people. You can't wait to be in church. You can't wait to be around the people of God, the things of God. And so, the question I want to put to us this morning is, are you complete in him? Now, the scripture says you are, but are you filled full? That's why the Bible exhorts us to be filled with the fullness of God, be filled with the Spirit because the the reality is we can grieve the Spirit, we can uh, quench the Spirit, there are many things that we can do and therefore we forfeit that fullness and so God wants to fill you of his Spirit this morning. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we just bless your holy name. Oh God, What profound truths, what wonderful truths we have seen in your word, Lord. It excites me deeply, God, just to know these things, to see these things, Lord. And I know what what you have brought me through and I know, God, how you have worked in me, O Lord. And I pray, God, for your people. Lord, there may be those this morning that are filled full. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. But God, there may be those here sitting here this morning that are not, that don't have a sense of completion in you. Because in Christ, the fullness of God dwells bodily and yet that fullness, Lord, is in us as we are in Christ. And Lord, I pray that your people would be partakers of that fullness. God, bring them into that experience. Bring them into that place where they would apprehend these truths for themselves, where they would be healed, where they would be delivered. They would be made whole in Jesus' name. Amen.
Oh, glory to God. 5 to 12. Made it short. <laughs> Shorter. 